I have a message for this assembly and perhaps for other hearers as well that has young men in particular within its burden. The title of the message is Calling All Timothys. I want to clarify what the connotation of that title points to. It does not point to the more modern way of thinking, which passes out rewards for mere attendance. And so the idea of calling all Timothys is not the idea that every young man who perhaps comes to church or who gives some sort of spiritual witness is therefore a Timothy just because they're there. And so the idea is some sort of woke love concept that we're advocating that everyone should be called a Timothy. At the same time, there is a very warm desire and a very warm interest toward the potential Timothys that are here and elsewhere. And the reason why we would focus a message on the young men does not need a great deal of apologetic behind it. You'll recall with me, without going to the verses, that Paul addresses that category within the church. He addresses young men specifically in the epistles, so that's particularly legitimate. But it does not need to be argued that there is a crisis in the churches. What exactly we should do about that is a broader question, but one practical step certainly would involve speaking specifically to the young men in the interest of encouraging their hearts and engaging them in the work of the church, in the call of the Lord Jesus, and the direction of their lives. And so if you find me this afternoon looking in your direction, if you happen to be a younger man today, perhaps making eye contact with you, recognize that you yourself are a part of this work, and the Holy Spirit does have something to say specifically to your lives. Now there is a broad, edifying representation of godly literature that has the interest of young men particularly in mind. From a personal note, I can share with you that I've discovered that literature in my own journey, starting indeed as a young man myself. I did discover it, I should add, by pursuing it, by having a hunger and a thirst to be mentored and to be trained into godliness. But I will share with you initially, as we set up the focus of this study, a sampling from a couple of those texts that focus directly on the young man's life. This first quotation comes from a work by Charles Reynolds Brown, an American congregational minister, one-time dean of Yale Divinity School. And I find the title of his work worth mentioning because it has a sort of curious title to it that helps to make a point in a sort of ironic way. The title of this book that was originally published in 1909 is The Young Man's Affairs. Now, exactly how that title would work in our own time 
in addressing young men's lives does raise a certain irony before us that we might want to untangle a little bit. And I don't think that it is taking a negative turn to this study to state that it might be the case that if this title were used in literature addressing young men today, it might be thought that it is helping to sort out their interpersonal lives, their sexual lives, and their interest in the opposite gender. And so we might be thinking that what the job of the church is, is to try to get them to stop fornicating. But as you'll see, I think that there's a lot more to what the burden of this message is under the title of Calling All Timothys. Our author says, in addressing not the carnal affairs of the young men, but addressing their life, addressing the things that concern them, the young man's affairs. You will agree with me at the outset that no man is apt to arrive unless he has a fairly distinct idea as to where he is going. You can steer a ship that is moving, every part of it brought under the power of some impelling force. Even if it is headed in the wrong direction, as long as it's moving, it can be turned around. You cannot do anything with a ship that is drifting. It simply lies in the trough of the sea, beaten and tossed. You can do almost anything with a young man who is possessed by a purpose. If that purpose in certain particulars is a mistaken one, he can be turned around. But it is hard to do anything with those human derelicts who are just drifting along, waiting to see what will happen to them instead of being up and out to make things happen on their own account. I wonder, even as I read this original quote, how forceful its message reaches the hearts of the young men. When you hear the admonition and the advice in the direction of embracing a purpose for your hearts, a purpose that you attend to and you put your energies toward, does that ring true? Does that resonate in your spirits? Do you agree and feel the call of God, even in the concept of obtaining a purpose for your life. This same author, in 1917, published another book and entitled it, Five Young Men, Messages of Yesterday for the Young Men of Today. Now, I'm not sure what Mr. Reynold Brown was observing in his own time, but I suspect in that he's bringing forth these admonitions and He's writing this literature that as any godly pastor, any godly older man will embrace in his heart and spirit, that this brother is also embracing the interest of calling the young men to a purpose, of advocating that their hearts be engaged in the calling that God has for their lives. And by speaking to the young men of his time, from the stories of how young men lived in previous generations, he was certainly seeking to stir them up to a certain value system. And in his case, he uses five young men from the Bible. 
We won't take the time to address the way in which he presents these five lives, but I will relay to you the five young men that he selected for the volume about these five young men, messages of yesterday for the young men of today. His first young man is Joseph. His second young man is Samson. His third young man is David. His fourth young man is Isaiah. And his fifth young man is Jesus. And the subtitle of that chapter is The Young Man Who Changed the World. Now, young men, this little volume by Pastor Brown is reaching into the biblical history, and he finds very easily five young men who embraced a purpose, who gave their lives over to God, who found communion and fellowship with the living God, and who achieved great things through their life. And these stories, if you avail yourself of the influence of their lives, they can be used of God to place a conviction and a calling within your spirits. But the possibility of young men's lives being an instrument of godly provocation a beckoning call to your heart is certainly not limited to just the young men of the Bible. Think, for example, of the life of Robert Murray Machane. Maybe you're not aware of the life of Robert Murray Machane, but the burden of this message, calling all Timothys, making sure that this assembly is not neglecting to reach out to the hearts of the young men in the interest of developing your heart so that you can be a godly man when you get older and contribute to the church in positive ways and bring a purpose through your life to the kingdom of God. Part of the burden of this is to encourage you to look up Robert Murray Machine and to look up biographies on the lives of young men and open your life and your understanding and your purview to such individuals and may the Spirit of God use them to stir your spirit to become a godly young man. Well, Robert Murray Machane only lived to be 29. He started in the ministry at the age of 22. He served in that ministry for eight years and then died. But dear brothers and sisters, the life of Robert Murray Machane to this day is still rendering in effect upon the hearts of God's people as they read his life, as they contemplate his example. He had a couple of friends in the Bonar family, Andrew and Horatius Bonar. You could look up their lives and read about them and find your own life challenged and edified, and you could sense a call of God in your spirit. What about David Brainerd? Here is another young man who came into communion with the living God at a tender young age, and he found a purpose for his life. His Christian experience included not just church attendance, not just evening Bible studies, not just some degree of moral conformity, but David Brainerd embraced a purpose at a very young age for his life in the service of God. He only lived to the age of 29, but he too made a powerful effect upon his generation, and we still read about him 
with tender hearts. Samuel Morris is another life that you could look up. As I bring some of these names to your attention, I wonder and I ask the young men who are here and elsewhere, do you know any of these names? Are you familiar, for example, with the life of Joseph? Have you studied the life of Joseph? Have you thought about this young man? Or Samson, have you looked into his life prayerfully and asked, how does his life speak to mine? What sort of things should I emulate? What sort of things should I avoid so that I can have a purpose in my life and I can be effective and I can bring blessing to my generation? I could continue to give you other biblical young men to reflect upon, but now I'll return to the lives of men who have lived through Christian history. And I'm asking you that um, if you don't know these names, why don't you know these names, young man? I'm encouraging you to have an interest to obtain a purpose in your life. And I'm encouraging you to bring the influence and the examples of other young men into your awareness that they might work upon your soul. Well, Samuel Morris was a Libyan prince. I mean, it was a tribe in Libya, but that's what he was. He was a Libyan prince captured by another tribal group in his vicinity. He was miraculously delivered, ended up coming to the United States. That itself was an answer to prayer. He went to Taylor University in Indiana. Those are just some particulars of his life. He died at the age of 20, but his life is still impacting to our own day. We still think about Samuel Morris and we get blessed by seeing what his life brought to his generation. Well, we could continue to move down through history in all directions. I could speak to you about Jim Elliott and the other men that were associated with him. I could tell you that he died at the age of 28. Think of that. And yet his life was rich and full and purposeful. And he knew his God. And he was a blessing to the church. And he gained a great deal of maturity within his development, as did all of these men. Now, I want to make sure that as we address the young men, we are not doing so to the exclusion of any other class. That's not obviously the interest. Young sisters, there are examples in the Bible and outside of the Bible that you would do well to attend to. There's a certain sense in my spirit that I must confess to that I observe even as I preach that as soon as I move over to the sisters, I feel a certain ease with which I'm proceeding now to advise the sisters to look up these young lives that will be a good example for you. And that itself is part of the burden that I won't expand upon at the moment, but it's part of the burden of why we are calling all Timothys. Because we know that God is still the God of salvation and regeneration and consecration and giftings. And we believe in this assembly and we believe elsewhere that God will raise up Timothys that there will be ears that hear and hearts that understand and that are stirred by the call for Timothy's. But young sisters, you probably know some of these names, Amy Carmichael or Darlene Dibler Rose. Maybe even some of you are aware of Perpetua and Felicity. 
I won't expand into the lives of those individuals at the moment. They were a few that came to my mind as far as the lives of young sisters that you could read about and you could reflect on and you could measure your life by and be inspired to pursue a deeper, richer life with God. And that's what this is about, young people. This is about hearing the voice of God through the preaching of the word and through the examples of those that have gone before us. We have the example preeminently of Jesus himself. My dear brothers who attend this meeting and any young men who view themselves as Christians or at least attend a Christian church, has it occurred to your spirit, has it registered to your heart that the one that is your savior, the one that is your example, that the one that you are called to follow was himself a godly young man who had a purpose to his life that was defined by the word and will of God, that his growth and maturity and development as he grew in wisdom and stature and his character was made more and more well-pleasing in the sight of God and men, that the reason this all occurred is because he embraced a purpose as he stated at a very young age, he said, I am about my father's business. He was in the word of God. He was interested in discussing with the well-trained theologians of his time things about the word of God. That's what characterized Jesus. There's a passage that relates to the Lord that is referenced in John chapter 2. And it says that the zeal of God's house has eaten up the heart and the purpose of the Lord Jesus. So young men, allow this call to the Timothys to reach your hearts. Is there a zeal for God's house that just bubbles up within you that even as I speak of these concepts of purpose and I bring to your attention these various lives that, that you know about these lives because you've been seeking your God and, and you've been You've been looking for examples to follow. You want to develop your character. You want to become a substantial man in the eyes of God and a blessing to your family and, and to your church and to your generation. And you too have a, have a developing zeal and desire and drive within your life to see God's church prosper. With respect to how applicable this ought to be to the young lives and the young men of our time, it's useful to remind yourself that at the core of the call to be a Christian is a call to deny yourself, to take up the call of the kingdom, even at personal cost, and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, to the extent that the young men of our churches that have a true salvation experience and understand what it is to be a Christian, it should be marked by this selfless interest in the purposes of God. It should be something that the pastor is well aware of. It should be something that is functioning in your life, in the week, and on the Sundays that we all gather together. This, dear brothers and sisters, is what we should be seeing in our young men. When we see this developing, dear brothers and sisters, then we will be rising up out of the crisis of the lack of godly, mature men in the churches of Jesus Christ. 
I want to read to you a statement from the evangelical Anglican preacher, J.C. Ryle. There is a collection of sermons that he published in 1887, interestingly, under the title of The Upper Room. And one of the sermons is an address to the young men, and he had the following to say. And may this be a call to the Timothys from some of us that are getting older. I wouldn't put myself directly in J.C. Ryle's shoes at this moment. He was probably somewhere in his early 70s when he made these remarks. I'm not quite there yet, but there is nonetheless still a concern, a godly concern, a pastoral concern. There is within my heart a zeal for God's house, and I think it very appropriate that we ensure that we are reaching the young men in the context of our overall ministry. Ryle says, I am growing old myself, but there are a few things I remember so well as the days of my youth. I have a most distinct recollection of the joys and the sorrows, the hopes and the fears, the temptations and the difficulties, the mistaken judgments and the misplaced affections, the errors and the aspirations which surround and accompany a young man's life. If I can only say something to keep some young men in the right way and preserve him from faults and sins, which may mar his prospects both for time and eternity, I shall be very thankful. As we're calling all Timothys, I wonder if you hear that fatherly voice through J.C. Ryle, if you recognize and appreciate the interest that an older man has who has had a life of, of pursuing Jesus and striving to be a Christian indeed, who has sought to develop and mature his own spirit and life in the things of Christ, and now looks out into the generation that is coming up behind him and is desiring to pass on to them his experience and some of the things that he has learned, his wisdom as he has gone through life and had his own bumps and bruises along the way. Do you appreciate young Timothys who have within you a developing interest in the things of God? Do you appreciate an older man's burden that the younger man would be mentored and would be ministered to by the wisdom of the older brothers so that the work of God will go on into the next generation. Well, J.C. Ryle was not the originator of this method of securing the work of God. He was not the first older man that had as a burden in his spirit reaching out to the young men of the next generation. He wasn't the first one who wanted to pass along his wisdom to the young men. The book of Proverbs begins with these words. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Do you realize that the book of Proverbs is largely comprised of sayings that Solomon curated through the experiences of his life? He who did not begin or at least did not maintain 
a godly lifestyle through his developing years. But as he was brought back to the advice and counsel of David at some point in his life, he learned that it's good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good for a young man to turn his heart to God, to fear the Lord and to keep his word. And Solomon always had a great deal of wisdom, at least in terms of mental capacity. But in his latter years, he realized that real mature wisdom is found in putting all your efforts toward living for God and obtaining the ability to make distinctions in life between what is wise and what is foolish. The book of Proverbs itself in the Hebrew text is mashal. It means to make a comparison. In other words, it is to think through life to think through my own behavior, to look at the behavior of others, of my peers, to look at the possibilities in life, to look at decisions that are staring at me right in the moment, and to learn the value and to desire to be able to make the best possible decisions in order to make more out of my life. This is what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's largely about mentoring young men, reaching out to their hearts and wooing and calling and appealing to them to follow along in the paths of righteousness. Verse 2 of the book of Proverbs says, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. It's a common perspective of our culture that there's been a general dumbing down of the populace. And that can carry with it a pessimistic outlook on the young men of our time. That includes the idea that the kind of preaching I'm bringing forth at this moment is over their heads. That they don't even understand why one would want to be able to attain onto wise counsels, to understand instructions in wisdom and justice and judgment and equity. Their interests are on how you set up social media accounts and how you might be able to get the attention of that particular girl in, in your circle of awareness and on and on. But I'm not going to embrace that pessimistic outlook. I'm going to embrace the call to all Timothys. And I'm going to continue to speak in the voice of the Proverbs, the voice that has as its burden and its interest the development of young men's hearts. Listen to some of the language as we continue in the first chapter of the Proverbs. We are told, for example, young men, what the essence of wisdom is. My dear Timothys, hear the word of the Proverbs about what the essence of wisdom is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of a life well lived. The fear of the Lord, the sense of His awe, a reverential impact in your soul. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But my dear Timothys, listen to this. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools fail to appreciate 
what the essence of wisdom is. They fail to appreciate this counsel. They, they fail to listen to Solomon now in his elder years, having had all the experiences of rebellion and carnality, speaking with a burden in his heart and saying, younger people, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Don't despise this wisdom and instruction. And then this wisdom that he speaks of, addressing it in just its essence. In the eighth verse, he gives the first lesson. He sets before us the first principle. He says, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. I'm calling all Timothys. And I'm wanting to point out to you, Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 8 says, now let's put that in practice and let's tell you the first thing that should register in your heart if you fear the Lord. The first truth that if you've got this healthy, open heart about you where you have the fear of the Lord so that now he can speak wisdom into your life and it means something to you. The first thing he says is, my son, listen to the instruction of your father and don't forsake the law of your mother. Timothy's, if you will embrace that piece of wisdom, then this call can enter into your life and we might just have a developing Timothy in our midst. The ninth verse expresses the first reward, the first prize, the first benefit, the first blessing. Whenever a young man, whatever your name is, if God's grace comes into your heart and you are a developing Timothy and you begin to give more attention to the instruction of your godly father and you listen to the law of your mother, then the Bible is saying to you, a reward will begin to be manifest in your life. Verse 9 says, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Your life and your character will begin to display beauty, attractiveness, It'll have a certain royalty and depth about it because as you embrace the word of God and in the fear of God, you listen to the instruction of godly men, in particular your father, and you make that a commitment of your life. What you're going to discover is that your character development begins to shine and catch the attention of others and you become a blessing to your generation. And then finally from these opening verses in Proverbs I want to give you the first practical lesson. You see what we've done here? Young Timothys, look what you can do. You go to the book of Proverbs. You say to yourself, I want to be a godly man. I hear something of the call of Timothy in my life. And I'm going to go to Solomon, as it were, my elder brother who made a lot of mistakes. And I'm going to listen to what he has to say in the fear of the Lord. And I'm learning as I'm studying this. I'm just reading this and thinking. And I realize in verse 7, I've got the essence of wisdom. In verse 8, I have the first principle. There's not a lesson here directly. There's a principle. The principle is listen to what your father has to say. It doesn't say anything about what he does say. It just says, listen to what he says. It's not giving you a specific. And then it says in general that if you will listen to what your father and mother say, then your life will begin to be adorned. Your character will begin to shine. But then in the 10th verse, we get the very first lesson. Here's the first thing that your father is saying to you. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Now, dear brethren, I submit to you that this 
is, as it were, Solomon and the word of God calling all Timothys, seeking out for young men to be developed into godly character. I've used that as a title, not because Timothy is the only life worth patterning yourself after. I've already given you a number of examples from the Bible and from church history of young men's lives who can be encouraging, instructive, provoking, convicting, stirring to your hearts if you avail yourself of their content. But in the interest of this study, And because of the unique way in which Timothy fits into the New Testament, then that's why we have entitled this teaching, Calling All Timothys. And I want to, in the remainder of our time together, bring some of the details of Timothy's life to the ears and the hearts of the young men with the prayer that his life will speak to yours. That this young man, who effectively can be your spiritual peer, will influence you and will be a warm friendship for your heart, that you would want to be like him. In Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 1, we're about 15 years after Paul's conversion in the year, let's say, A.D. 50. Then came Paul to an area in Roman Asia Minor named Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, that is Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to the various believers, the decrees from the Jerusalem council, the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And then finally, verse 5 for now, let's read what the result was of this ministry that is now including the young man Timothy. We read, the churches were established in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Does that speak to your heart, young men? The idea that you could be involved in seeing churches established in the faith, that you could be involved in seeing the expansion of God's kingdom, the growth of good churches. Well, that's what Timothy was involved with. Let's take a closer look at this young man, Timothy. He has a name, as you know. It is Timotheos. Now, I believe that God does give names. I don't think we should be too ready to make our own deciphering of what the names mean in every situation. That's a bit of a dangerous exercise, I think. But when we reflect back on somebody's life and the name seems to fit, then I don't think there's a lot of harm in making that observation. The name Timothy comes from Timae, which means honor or reverence, and the word theos, which of course means God. So his name is God Honorer. And I wonder what your name might mean. I did indeed think of mentioning a number of names of young men that I know about and observing the potential of what their names might stand for. I know Stephen, for example, means crown. We could go through a list of other names. But what I'm pointing out to you at this moment is that this young man 
who is what we might call a third-generation Christian, by which I mean he had a believing mother named Eunice and grandmother named Lois. And there's reason to believe that Eunice named this young boy purposefully, and she named him Timothy. And so it also is the case that there are parents in churches today that have young men within their family that they have dedicated to the Lord, that they have purposely named, and of course young women as well, but we're focusing on the young men today. And they have named them and they have prayed over them and they did so with a desire that their lives would fulfill some calling of God. And in Timothy's life, it was that he would be a young man that honored God, that he would grow up to exemplify someone who honors the Lord. And indeed, a male person whose life is characterized by honoring God. So when you looked at this person, Timothy, the mother desired and prayed, and I think reflecting the will of God, that the time would come when you would see developing in this individual's life a single focused interest to honor God. Now, Timothy was Jewish due to the matrilineal principle. This is a Jewish concept that your, let's say, ethnicity follows the line of your mother. But he had a Greek father. Perhaps his Greek father was deceased. I mean, after all, we just read when Paul came to Derby and Lystra on his second missionary journey, we read of him bringing Timothy into his company. We read of Paul circumcising the young man Timothy. His father is not in the story. This doesn't prove that his father had deceased, but it's quite possible that that was the case. And what we see in that mix is another thought pattern, because it's the case in our own generation where there are young men in churches that may lack a father figure in their experience. But young people, that does not mean that there aren't godly men who would look after your life and who have an interest in your spiritual development and that you could be interested in yourself and acquaint yourself with and learn and benefit from their input into your life. If you lived in J.C. Ryle's time, for example, I know you would have found a willing participant in Dear Brother Ryle because he wrote about his interest in the development of the young men of his own time. We learn about this young man, Timothy, that he grew up learning the Bible. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, as I said at the beginning of this study, the title, Calling All Timothys, does not include the idea that we just pass out labels and rewards for participation. My heart is very warm and very welcoming to any young man who wants to respond to this call in this assembly and, as a matter of fact, anywhere where this message is heard. But we aren't calling just any kind of individual to the work of God. And I have to emphasize that for a moment even as I'm at this point in our study. We are beckoning, we are calling, we are encouraging the young men to step up into something approximating the heart and life and purpose of Timothy. 
But when we're calling for Timothy's, we are calling for a specific sort of young man. Because in part, myself as a pastor and pastors elsewhere are looking to solve the problem of the crisis of the lack of godly, mature men. And so it would do us no benefit if we just call everybody Timothy's just because we have that many more males in our assemblies. No, what we need are real Timothy's. And one of the things that characterize real Timothy's young male heart is that you are in the Word of God. Any man who started this walk at a younger age and is now functioning in some degree of a godly male leadership capacity will tell you that he has been in the Word as he's grown in Christ. So as we look at the character of Timothy and we understand what it is to be a Timothy, once again I emphasize, he himself pursued a knowledge of the Scriptures. Sure, his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, and other individuals were there to assist him and praise the Lord for that. And in, in this particular church, and I hope in other settings, that there are various means and purposeful methods by which we can help our young men to learn the Bible. Certainly in this church, young men, you have myself, you have Brother Allen, we have a website and other means by which you can gain deeper understanding in the Word of God. But this message is calling you to the Timothy life. This message is beckoning your young man's heart so that you can become a Timothy or something like that in your own spiritual development. And I'm saying no matter how many means are supplied, no matter how many Bible studies we have in our homes, unless you yourself have an interest in the Word of God, then you're not going to become a Timothy. So Timothy, as I just said, he was in the Word from a young age, but he was uncircumcised, which implies that his upbringing was not characterized by a strict observance of the law. He was under a Jewish influence, but he wasn't under a strict observance of that Jewish influence. And that's an important thing to make note of, because I think that that is an ingredient to why perhaps Timothy stood out among other potential young men. I know there were other godly young men in Paul's generation. Tychicus, Titus, Epaphroditus, and no doubt many more. But when we're speaking about Timothy, he clearly was a young man that stood out with ornaments of godly character within the region of Derby and Lystra. And I'm suggesting to you that these are some of the things and influences in his life that brought him to that place, and I'm recommending them to our young men. And I'm recommending these principles to the churches of Christ so that their young men will develop in this way. And I'm saying, Timothy did not experience some legalistic force over his life that might have looked that way because his mother was Jewish. There's potential for that. But I'm saying specifically, in that he wasn't circumcised, that that element was not a part of his upbringing. And so there was a certain liberty, a certain welcomingness to his own life that had the ability to breathe and truly develop. And I think that that is important. So as we have seen, when Paul comes to Lystra, he chooses Timothy to accompany him in his second missionary journey. Why did Paul select Timothy? Why would a pastor of our own time engage some individual in the assembly, 
let's now think about young men. Why would a pastor engage a particular person to participate with him in his own ministry? That's something worth reflecting on. I know as it relates to any young man who has some sort of Timothy-like development in their spirit, one thing I know is that they do have a zeal and an interest in being involved in the church and maybe speaking, maybe preaching, doing other things. They've got that feature within their life. And perhaps that's true about you at this moment, that you are very interested in the church and what goes on in the assembly. You're a little discouraged that you're not called upon to do more. So maybe it will do your heart well, young person, to reflect on why Timothy was selected by a wise minister by the name of Paul over against other potential young men. It's because of what we read in Acts chapter 16 and verse 2. We read that he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and that were at Iconium. It's interesting to observe that these two, let's call them cities, are approximately 30 miles apart from one another. But the reality of Timothy's day and the reality in Timothy's life is that believers both in his hometown And believers in the general region of Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, they're all about 30 miles away from each other. They all knew something about Timothy, and they all could testify to his godliness. And I assure you, Paul had a fairly strident definition and standard for what that godliness should entail. It wasn't just knowledge of the word. It was character and humility and a willingness to serve and that whole range of things. And I'm saying that that character development was so real, so well in place, that wherever Timothy went, people observed it. Not because he displayed it in front of them, that wouldn't have worked, but because he just lived it. And people began to recognize this young man, and they began to realize, this man is different, this one is different. He's of a different character, a different outlook, a different way of life. That's why. Timothy became a part of the work of God. You know, if we begin to shift how the church functions and we're not calling Timothys, but we're just calling everybody Timothy because they want to, because they're male, they come to church, they want to be involved. And so we're supposed to just call everybody Timothy. And yet they don't meet these basic conditions. Then we're going to wind up with a lack of godly men in the churches. You know, you can lack godly men even if you don't lack numbers. That was certainly the case with Moses, wasn't it? There were lots of males around Moses, but there were very few godly men. He was in the experience of a crisis of the lack of godly men. And so he sought to mentor Joshua. We can think in more modern times, since we've talked about Yale Divinity School through Charles Reynolds Brown, And we think about Jonathan Edwards. In the 1700s, in this very state, it wasn't that the church in Northampton lacked male members of the church. Jonathan Edwards, in his ministry and his experience at a certain time, lacked godly men. Why? Because they put him out of the ministry. (laughs) Can you imagine that? That's the level of their spiritual development and maturity. They put Jonathan Edwards out of the ministry. Now later, one of those individuals repented and realized I had it all backwards and upside down. But you see, potential Timothys, potential young men of our own time, you're hearing 
the word of God speak to your hearts. You're hearing the voice of your heavenly father who will not compromise his ways and nor will we. And I will happily continue to send out this call to all Timothys and relay to them that you respond to this call if it is the case that first of all, you're interested in developing deep godly character. You're interested. That's one of your primary objectives. If that is not your interest and you're a churchgoer or just out there somehow under the influence of some Christian voice, well, we're not calling you, not in this message, we're not calling you to come and help in the work of God. But if you are a young man and you're looking for some place to carry out the burden of your life and to be appreciated and developed and mentored and matured, I want you to know that we appreciate in this church the Timothy-like heart that does have as a very high value what Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says, you want a good name. You want to be a good Christian man. A good name is rather to be chosen than all other pursuits. Does that describe your life, young man, today? Are you trying to obtain through your Christian development a good name so that you're a good person because you want to lovingly bless other people. Your focus is, is, is not getting a name. It's not that you want your name out there. You want to become a good person so that you can bring a good name like Timothy did into the work of God. In verse 3, as a result of this witness of the brethren. We are told that Timothy was selected by Paul to go forth with him. In the New King James Version, it sounds like this. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. In the ESV, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. I mean, those sorts of phrases just stir my spirit. As, as one who was saved when he was 17 years old, as one who came into this walk without a father figure in my own life that was guiding me and leading me into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the idea that an older brother in the Lord would take an interest in my life and see value in what I brought to the church is just stirring, is just very welcoming and very provoking in a positive sense. I mean, it's drawing, it's, it's, it's enticing, it's, I don't know, whatever best term one can use, but it catches one's attention. And this message is for the hearts of young men who feel the same thing, who read this language of the Bible and realize Paul wanted this young man with him. It wasn't like Timothy had to pull on Paul's sleeve and say, I want to do something, I want to do something. Notice me. It was Paul wanted this young man to be in his company because of what he was and how he structured his life, what his values were, what his purpose was. In life. And then think about how this looks. Think about the nature of this young man's heart. Think about the dynamic of Paul's relationship with Timothy, young person. Think about whether you want to be a Timothy. Are you open to this sort of thing? Do you realize that this dynamic that we're going to speak to right now is very much a part of how you may one day be a godly older man in the church? The dynamic looks like this. Paul wants Timothy to join him in his ministry to serve the purpose of God, to help Paul in his own calling. He wants Timothy to understand you are to be mentored, you are to be trained. And the first 
crisis that they face is that Timothy is not circumcised. That is a potential crisis right at the beginning of their relationship. You could overlook the reality of that because of your familiarity with the text. But we're talking about something that is very dear to Timothy, if you don't mind my saying so. Very sensitive to Timothy's life. Something that was never required of him, and there really isn't, in some sense, a strong biblical argument. But Paul, who has more wisdom than Timothy does, though it's not about Paul's body, it's about Timothy's body that Paul is directing this wisdom toward, he is saying to Timothy, right from the start of their relationship, I need to circumcise you. And I don't think we have any evidence of any resistance from Timothy whatsoever, and that is very notable. To the extent, young person, that you have resistance in your heart to the counsel of your father, to the counsel of godly older men, I'm not suggesting that you are supposed to listen to just anybody who speaks to your life, but I'm saying if you're blessed with the influence of someone who manifests spiritual maturity, and they're advising you, and they're counseling you, and they're speaking to you about certain things that you should cut off and you should stop. Even if you feel that this is too strong of an obligation, this is in the direction of legalism, as circumcision might have been felt, but they're saying, no, there's a reason why you should do this for the greater good of the kingdom of God and for the work of this church, this should be cut off for the benefit of the work of God's kingdom. And why do I know that? One could ask Paul, because I'm a spiritual man. I've paid the cost to understand these things. And Timothy, young man, it's your job to learn how to hear the Lord like this. Not to start off your relationship with me saying that I don't need to be circumcised. Why should I get circumcised? Where is that in the Bible? You see, you could take for granted this dynamic. When we're calling all Timothys, I recognize, certainly among just the mere churchgoers, which sadly churches are comprised of, they're just churchgoers, they're not converted. They don't know hardly anything about Jesus' basic initial call. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow the purposes of Jesus. They know nothing about that. So I'm not calling that kind of life, except to the extent, which I hope is the case, that nonetheless the Spirit of God causes these possibilities to stir up your spirit, that you can become a person with a purposeful life. You shouldn't waste the potentiality of your younger years. But what I'm saying to you at the moment is, the hearts that this message is calling are the hearts of young men that willingly, lovingly, with understanding in their hearts, say, brother, pastor, I'm here to serve the work of God. I'm here to listen to your wisdom and your counsel. I'm here to come under your mentoring. I'm here in the language of Philippians chapter 1. I want to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And that's what you see in Timothy. Doesn't that make sense to your heart? We had a potential crisis at this moment. There was a shared challenge, which was resolved through a mutual interest in the kingdom of God. Paul says in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul found in Timothy a young man 
who understood that, who embraced that, and therefore, wherever Paul sent Timothy, whether Paul was there or he wasn't there, whether he was present or absent, he knew that Timothy would be carrying out the directions that Paul had given to him. That is an incredible blessing to the kingdom of God. That is a young heart that is growing up to become a truly godly man. Well, I want to point out to you that Timothy was a vital member of Paul's inner circle. This is made clear throughout the letters that we have of the Apostle Paul. In six of the Pauline prescripts or salutations, Timothy's name is mentioned as being included in Paul's inner circle. I know if you're a young Timothy, I know this very well, that in a godly way that stirs your heart. To think about the privilege of being involved alongside a godly minister. I won't digress into my own life with details, but I can tell you that all my life as a developing Christian, I've noticed godly older brothers in the Lord and I've wanted to be in their company. I've wanted to learn from them. I've wanted to talk to them and, and hear their wisdom and their counsel. And I wanted to help their ministries. And some of you know my affection for Brother Bobby Freeman, who's passed on. I never thought it would be the Lord's will for me in that I was pastoring here to become a part of the work in Alabama. But the Lord knows my heart that I say the truth and lie not that I would have loved to have been a part of that work down in Alabama and to have helped Brother Bobby to carry out the vision that he had in his spirit because I recognized in him a godly maturity that I could learn from. So what I'm saying is that was Timothy's experience. And you know you're a Timothy yourself when you hear me talking about these things and you're all ears, you're all heart, you're all interests. That's who we're calling. We're calling Timothy's to the work of God's kingdom. There are 13 Pauline epistles altogether. If we leave out for the moment the epistle to the Hebrews, we won't decide on the epistle to the Hebrews. So there are 13 Pauline epistles. Two are specifically addressed to Timothy. So we're not going to worry about whether Timothy's involved in that letter. He's involved in the entire letter, right? First and second Timothy is all about him, as it were. It's addressed to him. Of the remaining 11, six of them include Timothy in the salutation. The epistle to the Galatians was written before Timothy joined Paul's company. So that makes sense, right? That Timothy wouldn't be mentioned in the epistle to the Galatians because it was written before Timothy joined company with Paul. The epistle to Titus was written to Timothy's young friend and fellow worker, Timothy's name could have been mentioned in there, theoretically, but it makes sense that it wasn't because, well, it was written to his friend Titus, and Titus was the focus, another young man in Paul's day. Timothy is mentioned in the book of Romans, not in the salutation, not in the prescript, but Timothy is mentioned in the book of Romans. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, and he's also mentioned at the end of the epistle to the Hebrews. Now, what I'm making clear to you is that only the letter to the Ephesians lacks a sense of Timothy's presence. Every single New Testament book, including the book of Acts, has Timothy featured in it, either at the very beginning, within this context, or it's directly written to him. That's the nature of the effect of this young man's life. That's what position this young man entered into 
because of the heart that we're seeking to describe. That's what's possible for your lives, young people. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in ministry. That's not the sole way in which these things can develop into. But even though the book of Ephesians, as an epistle, does not have a sense of Timothy's presence directly in it, the fact is that 1 Timothy, for sure, and 2 Timothy, most likely, was written to Timothy while he was overseeing the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. So if you put all this together again, what you're seeing is the central and widespread effect and value of Timothy's life in the work of the Apostle Paul. Let me read to you some of the salutations within which Timothy's name is mentioned. Take, for example, what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, this is being written in the year 51 AD. You know what that means? That means that Timothy has been with Paul for only a matter of months, maybe a year, but not for very long after he was called to Paul's company in Acts chapter 16, which was like in the year 50 or somewhere there. I mean, this could have been just months after Paul called Timothy into his service, into his circle of men who are working together for the kingdom of God, and he would be a young man. And so we read Paul and Silas and Timothy. That's remarkable that Timothy, in Paul's estimation, is well-placed within these sets of names. You just need to reflect on what we're talking about here. Reflect on the New Testament world and remember that Paul did not pass out this kind of recognition really easily. Indeed, before we get to the 16th chapter and the initial verses within which Timothy is chosen, obviously the 15th chapter comes right before it. And the 15th chapter ends with this somewhat unedifying historical piece within which Paul is contemplating going on his second missionary journey and Barnabas would go with him, but Barnabas wants to bring the young man John Mark. But Paul feels as though this young man has not met the qualifications. I love him, but he isn't suited for this work because he left the work of God in Pamphylia. And Barnabas disagreed with that decision. And so there was a conflict between the two of them. And what I'm seeking to show is that Paul was a man of high standards and high values. And I'm saying to the young Timothys of our time, I, for example, as a pastor, and I'm certain there are other pastors throughout this land, throughout the world indeed. We are somewhat globally connect connected these days and Christians are scattered all over and in some senses we're in a time of apostasy. So it's possible that my voice and message will reach across the globe for that matter. And I'm saying I, like Paul, have a high standard for who would fit into the role of a potential Timothy. And while that invitation is given out warmly and there's all the promise of assistance and mentoring and grace that is in my heart and no doubt in the hearts of other godly men out towards you. I just want you to understand that what we're seeing in the life of Timothy when we see that Paul places Timothy's name 
at the front of his letters to these various churches, that is not something to take lightly. He would not bring John Mark with him. He disagreed strongly with Barnabas, but he places Timothy's name right at the beginning of the epistle. That means that this young man really did have godly character that spoke to the heart of Paul. Second Thessalonians written in about the same time frame, also includes Timothy's name, Paul and Silas and Timothy, onto the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father. Would your heart, young person, be involved in the work of God's kingdom such that your life, your name, not for prestige, of course, we've already said that, but you're hearing what I'm stating. You know, that see, you, you want to be involved. You, you, you want to have a purpose in your life. You want to see that purpose develop and you're willing to do whatever. Remember, Timothy was with Paul in the way that Joshua was with Moses, and Elijah was with Elisha, or vice versa. Elisha was with Elijah. They were there to serve. They were there to do whatever was needed. That's the Timothy heart. But look where he finds his name. You know, those who came up to Paul in one way or another and just said, sort of like Simon Magus, let me buy my way in. Let me just force my way in. Put my name there, Paul. I want to be in the front of those letters. Paul would just patiently and lovingly shake his head and look elsewhere. Unless, of course, someone wants to press the issue, then he'd have a disagreement like he did with Barnabas. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, isn't it beautiful to know that 2 Corinthians is written five years later than 1 Thessalonians? It's written about 56 AD. Five years later, Paul is still blessed and able and willing to include Timothy in the prescript to the Corinthian assembly. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Do you read that language, Paul? And he says, I'm an apostle, as he's writing to the Corinthians. And then he says, Timothy is a brother. That alone also is worth observing. Because if you're a young person and you need a title, this is all about you gaining some recognition at a certain level of importance. That's why you're interested in going to seminary. That's why you want to know the pastor. That's why you want to be involved in the church. If that's the case, then you're not the Timothy that this message is calling. I'm pointing out to you that Paul says of himself, I'm an apostle. When he addresses Timothy, he says he's a brother. Are you okay with that, young man? Are you okay with being associated in the work of God, but not necessarily having some remarkable title attached to your name? Maybe ever but certainly not for the time being. What we see that is so beautiful here is we all know that Timothy had no problem with this. Four years later, when Paul writes to the Philippians, he still has Timothy at his side. He's still pleased with Timothy's behavior and his actions. How many of you know you can't take that for granted? How many pastors know, how many churches have experienced that you might have young men or older men within the assembly and it started off well, but it didn't wind up well. Four years later, now we're nine years after Timothy first joined Paul's company. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Timothy had learned from Paul how to be a douloi, Iesu Christu. That's the plural, so it'd be doulos, but here he says servants plural, so the Greek is douloi, Iesu Christu. That also is beautiful, young men. 
Do you desire to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, for example, been reading the literature of godly men, godly young men to understand what it is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? If that's who you are, I want to encourage you. You're either finding in your local pastor or you will find at some point, as Timothy did, remember with me, Timothy was in another location and Paul went and found him. And I'm not sure that that's what will happen as a consequence of this message. That's not my reason for bringing forth this word. But I'm saying to you that if you are the kind of Timothy that we're presenting to you this afternoon, then sooner or later the Spirit of God, as he connected Elijah and Elisha, sooner or later will connect these people's lives. And, and you will find within, a, within the ministry of a godly pastor, a place where, within which you can be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find a godly pastor is hungering and thirsting and, and, and just almost dying of thirst for someone who wants to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will have gotten there because from a young age, you entered in to this particular purpose in life, to just serve God's kingdom and learn what it is to grow up to be a mature man. Well, Philippians is among the prison epistles, so it's no surprise that in Colossians, which also is a prison epistle, Timothy is again included in the prescript. The very first words that Paul pens when he writes to the churches, in Colossians, we read Paul, here again, he designates himself as an apostle. Why would he do that? Because it's true. And Timothy understands that. Are you hearing me, young men? I mean, I don't know if there would be young men that chaff at that idea that, well, why do you get to call yourself a pastor or, in Paul's case, an apostle? Why do you get to call yourself that and I don't get to call myself something? Well, if that's how you're feeling, you're not a Timothy. You're not even close. You don't understand anything I'm saying. And no, you're not going to be called a Timothy just because we're passing out Timothy labels for anybody who raises their hand and says, I want it. Calling all Timothys is calling out to those hearts that understand exactly what I'm saying. They recognize, well, of course Paul would call himself an apostle because he is. And he's going to call me a brother. Why? Because that's what I am. I'm his brother. That's what I'm fundamentally, primarily, I'm his brother. Serving God in the interest of of whatever Paul needs me to do for the good of his kingdom. It's real simple. Is You think there's no such thing like that in the 20th century? I disagree. I believe there is. Meaning I believe there are Timothys out there that hear and understand this. And then when he writes to Philemon, we read Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. Well, I mean, now Paul's in prison. Maybe Timothy's title should be ratcheted up a little bit in Paul's absence. You hear what I'm saying? But it didn't matter. You say, well, you're looking for things that don't need to be there. Well, that's part of my point. It didn't need to be there. And also, Paul is in prison. He's not out there able to be bodily involved in the churches, but he realizes Timothy who isn't in prison and able to say things and do things and share his views, he's not worried about what Timothy is going to say. He puts him right in the front of the letter and recommends him point blank because he knows who Timothy is. Timothy is described as Paul's son all the way to the end of their relationship together. I guess you realize that Paul died before Timothy. Dear young people's hearts, young men in particular, did you know that? If you didn't know that, and if a lot of things that I'm telling you, you didn't know, then I'm, I'm encouraging you as a loving pastor. I'm saying to you, why is it that you don't know these things? Is it because the ministry, say in this case me, is it because 
we're not being attentive to your own personal development, that may be the case. And I'm hoping that this message is helping to remedy that deficit if that is at all a part of the equation. Because I'm saying to all of you young people, you should know these basic facts about the Bible. Indeed, as I'm preaching this message, really, you should be right there with me, hearing these things, they're registering on your heart, you're participating, and I'm sensing the Holy Spirit's communion among all of us. I'm not sensing blankness and non-connection or even resistance. I'm experiencing blessed communion in the Holy Spirit because you're doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You're in the Word. You're developing. I'm sure that Paul saw that in Timothy. Is that not obvious? You know why Paul chose Timothy? because he sensed the camaraderie with Timothy's heart. And all the way to the end of Timothy's life, in connection with Paul's, which ended when Paul died, Paul could refer to him as my dearly beloved son. That's so precious, so wonderful. I would so desire for myself, and then I also desire to share this with all of you, that you would aspire onto such statements being attached to your life. I, for example, have a biological father who is yet alive. Presently, we are not one in spirit. That is to say, presently, we are not one in God. We don't value the same thing spiritually. I'm regenerated. I don't believe that he is. But I still desire, it still is important to me, if at all possible, that when my father passes away, assuming he passes away before I do, that he is able to say, you are my dearly beloved son. And I'm speaking to the young hearts today, and I'm asking the young men, do you value those kind of things? And I'm preaching in order to present these things to your hearts, and I'm calling and beckoning you to hear these messages. I'm saying not messages in the sense of all these sermons, I'm saying the things that I'm saying to you, all these proverbs, all these comparisons with what else is out there in life. I'm pleading with you to hear this wisdom, to, to open your spirit and, and to begin to taste of the things of the Lord and, and to sense how good they are. And may the Spirit of God bring about in your heart an alignment with the things of God's Spirit. So in 64 AD, when Paul writes to Timothy, and you know, the last letter that Paul writes is to Timothy. It's so beautiful. This is 14 years after Timothy joined Paul. 14 years through all the ups and downs of life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I don't know what you think of Paul. I'm sure he was a very godly man. He was very spiritual. But, you know, godly and spiritual doesn't necessarily correspond to really easy to be with, and you can kind of be any way you want. We already saw that at the end of Acts chapter 15. He would not take John Mark with him. He had a dispute with Barnabas that he didn't yield on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because Paul was about his father's business. Jesus himself lost company. Moses lost company. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying, think of what we're reading here. For 14 years, Timothy kept company with someone no less than Paul, who was a very exacting man and expected a high degree of quality character. And at the end, he says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Two years earlier, when he wrote 1 Timothy, 
we read on to Timothy, my own son in the faith. Do we have Timothys yet in our generation that understand this kind of concept? That you're not interested in being a loner? You don't think it's oppressive or archaic to entertain the notion that you would become the son of a godly minister in some functional, practical way, that you recognize the value of that kind of relationship, you realize, I have a lot to learn, and I don't feel like the right way to get to my service in God's kingdom is just on my own track, mapping out my own future. I need to come under the influence, under the mentoring of a godly man. That's what Timothy did. He was called my own son in the faith. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 55 AD, he said in chapter 4 and verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who is going to come and potentially do his own thing. And every time I send him and ask him to do something, I have a nervousness in my spirit about what exactly will take place because he seldom obeys my direction. That's not what he said. He said, who will bring you in remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere and in every church. Now, maybe a footnote here is of some benefit under the risk of some mentality imbibing the idea that none of this pertains today because, well, Brother William, you're not an apostle, and I don't know anybody who is. So I suppose that we need to be cessationists then entirely about the application of these principles in our own church experiences, in our own church makeup, you see. No, not at all. Not at all, dear brothers and sisters. Timothy is called a fellow worker in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and a minister of God, You know, that's the word from which deacon comes from in the Greek. I'm not saying it has to be thought of as a ministry title, like a particular ministry position, because it's used just as servant generally. But what I am saying is the way Timothy is being described by Paul, even though he has this young man to his company and he's sending him, you know, on all these journeys, you know, he's just taken over Timothy's life if you want to look at it that way. But of course, that's not the way anybody's looking at it. Not Paul and not Timothy either. They're seeing this is what God is doing. If you ask Timothy, how are you? Are you okay with Paul just taking over your life? He would look at you like, what? No, no, you misunderstand me. No, when you get saved, you just want to serve the purpose of God and serving the kingdom of God under his godly leadership. What a privilege. And when he does, when Paul is, you know, as I'm saying, he's sending him to Corinth and Ephesus and Crete and, well, that's Titus, but he's sending them, him, all these different places, right? And when he does, he says, well, I can't be there, but I'm sending Timothy. He's a brother and he's a minister and he's a fellow laborer. I mean, I don't think that's absent compliment, but it does not have some remarkable title to it. And it's totally unnecessary. That's the way church should look. It's not necessary. This isn't what this is about. He's my fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ and he will establish you and he will comfort you concerning your faith. And Paul knew that Timothy is going to teach what Paul taught. He's not going to contradict Paul. Is that not obvious to everybody? How about you young men? Is that how you feel about the work of God? You understand that way of understanding life? 
I mean, say for example, when you relate to your biological father, when you relate to your boss at work, do you carry those values there too? That you're not there to do your own thing, to take over, to run the place. You understand that I work for you, you're the boss. And if we get into a relationship like this, then we can mutually learn from one another. There's no problem here, but he's the boss and I'm the employee. He's the apostle, I'm the brother. You're the pastor, I'm the young man. But I have in my heart a purpose to commit my life to the work of God, to make that the objective of my life. If that's the case, then we're calling you, Timothy. Either where you already are, or if you want to come here, we're calling all Timothys. In Romans chapter 16, Timothy is labeled a son ergos, a fellow worker. Timothy, my fellow worker. Then listen to what is said about Timothy in 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 10. Now, if Timotheos, if the God-honorer comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he works the work of the Lord, hos kai ego, as also I. He works the work of the Lord in the way that I do. That's what we see in Timothy's life. Paul is sending Timothy to a place far away from where he is. He doesn't have any sort of surveillance equipment. He doesn't even have the ability to text Timothy and say, what are you doing right now? He doesn't need to. He sends Timothy. He knows that it's possible in that Timothy is a young man that older men could look down on him. So he exhorts the church, let him be among you without fear because he does the work of the Lord as I do. What a beautiful idea. I'm assuring you young men, there is a pastor here and there are pastors elsewhere. Wherever you find a godly man, I assure you, he could be in the seminary. He could be in your church. He could be your father. I assure you that if you have a heart that will connect with a godly man along these lines, you will find a rich relationship that can accomplish amazing things under the blessing of God. Like Paul had with Timothy. Timothy is charged with the duty of selecting qualified elders and deacons to oversee the church in Ephesus. You can read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but there again, young men, look what we're talking about here. This is possible for your life. Something in this direction. Again, I want to state so that if you're not aspiring to ministry or don't believe that you're call to word ministry that you realize this is still speaking to you because there's a business somewhere. There's a ministry somewhere that may not be word ministry, but some ministry to the poor or some other endeavor that the church would want to undertake that is looking for somebody like you that will allow yourself to be mentored to the degree where you can humbly and with wisdom and with integrity, you could be used to actually select even older men to be placed in positions because though you don't wear it around as a badge, you actually have more maturity than many of the older men in your company. And that's what Timothy had. I would think that these ideas would capture the heart of any young sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ that has an ear to hear what the shepherd and bishop of their souls has to say, to think that I could be developed spiritually such that I have the integrity to be used of God to help everybody around me.
me. I don't want to lord it over anybody, but you might say, I see the deficits within my family, within our church, within society, and it grieves my soul. I see the relative immaturity of my father and wherever else you might see it. And to realize that you could develop into something so mature that God could use you in an edifying and in a proper sense, even as he did Timothy, think of it, he sends Timothy to Ephesus and he says, young man, I have confidence in your wisdom and your spiritual development that you would be able to select elders and deacons to oversee God's work. What a remarkable thing. And even the wives, incidentally, I'm focusing, as I said, primarily on young men, but this isn't really an excursion from young men when I state that Timothy was also to oversee and assess the spiritual condition of the sisters within this church in Ephesus, right? Because in verse 11 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it says, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. You know what that means on the ground in the real world? That means Timothy has to go to Ephesus. Paul isn't there. And you already have heard that Timothy has a burden and has a maturity to know, I want to do this the way that Paul would have me do it because I believe that honors God. And he's going to go there and Paul's nobody to joke around with. That's what I'm also trying to say. And Timothy's understand that they don't fight against that. They want somebody who will tell them like it is and be serious with their lives. And they will submit to it and develop under it. And so Paul has some pretty straightforward requirements for who's to be selected for ministry. And, and Timothy doesn't want to mess it up. And he actually has to oversee as this relates to the women as well. You follow what I'm saying? Think of what he has to do. He has to be there in the church, look at some man who's potentially qualified to become in the ministry, but then realizes his wife is not qualified. And he has to stand there and make that remark in the church. I mean, I could understand why this aspect of the life and calling of Timothy might give you some trepidation, and it should. But I mean, you might feel like, I don't even want to get involved. And once again, we're not obviously calling you to a direct replication of Timothy's life. Here again, if it's in business, you might be delegated the responsibility to maybe hire and fire because you're found to be like a Timothy, a, a, man who's a young man who's turned his heart to the purpose of spiritual and godly development. And I'm saying that though it's not the easiest part of your job, it's not pleasant often, it's, you know, this is hard, but Timothys will do it. They will, they have that kind of character and maturity about them. They will carry out the will of God. And what's so beautiful about this picture is that because Paul found in Timothy a young man who could operate in these qualities, having been matured and mentored by his mother, his grandmother, maybe other believers in Lystra and Derby and Iconium, but most specifically under the Apostle Paul himself. There's no question about that. Paul was looking for a young man to join him in the ministry, and he found it in Timothy. And because he found it in Timothy, then you know what that means? That means we have a lot of hope that we might find such godly men to even take the place of Timothy when he gets older. Because Timothy will know how to do this. And he will call other young men to be like him, even up to those high standards 
And if culture is collapsing around him, no doubt there'll be young men and even older men that won't even understand what Timothy is about and what this all should look like. But Timothy will be there to hold up the standard and say, this is what I've lived. This is how I embrace the purpose and work of God. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul writing to Timothy, and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, you commit to other faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see what we have here. And isn't this Pauline wisdom? Isn't this wisdom in the church of God? This is what the motivation of this study is. Incidentally, as I think about our assembly and our young people, I feel a concern that I'm neglecting to be attentive enough in addressing their lives specifically. And perhaps as a result, we're not developing their lives such that they could become godly older men in time. And as J.C. Ryle said, I'm getting old, I'm gonna die, and who's gonna carry on the work? And what I'm trying to say to you is Paul had that same burden and he selected Timothy because of his character traits with the plan that Timothy would then bring others into the same standards. And so Paul exhorts Timothy to stand as well as to stand out. And young men, I want to exhort your hearts as well. For you to enter truly into the Timothy calling, you need to hear the exhortation and embrace the duty to stand as well as to stand out. First of all, to stand. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, let no man kata froneo your youth. Let no man despise your youth. Let no man kata froneo is the idea of think down. So he has to stand. And all that Timothy experienced, he is telling you, you stand, Timothy, and you be faithful to the life that is mentoring you, and you carry out your responsibilities. But then you also have to stand out. You can't just stand in some sort of claim of authority and wield around your authority mercilessly without any regard or humility. Paul would be the first one to object to that character trait. He goes on to say, be an example to the believers in word, in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Young Timothys, I'm saying this is the relationship that you would want to find with a Paul of your own day, an elder godly minister. You would find a man who encourages you to stand and, and to carry out your responsibilities, but who will also oversee your life and speak to you in ways in which you need to refine who you are so that you stand out as an example. And you will be encouraged to neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery, the elders. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. Does that make any sense to any young hearts? Are you a Timothy? Does the idea of giving yourself wholly to the purpose of God, even if it isn't full-time ministry, but I mean you make it the objective of your life. As far as I know, that should be where every Christian is, but we're calling Timothy's. Does that make sense to you? Then we're calling you that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. 
Does that register in your heart, young man? Do you have the concern and the burden and the worry that maybe even though you go to church and even though you are in the presence of a pastor and spiritual teaching that do you worry about, I wonder if I'll wind up saved. I can't speak for everybody out there, but I can tell you to this day, I still have that concern and I'm not Arminian. I believe in predestination and election and, and perseverance of the saints. And I'm not here to unwind that before you. I'm just saying as a young person, I still think of myself as a young person at whatever I am, 57, is that correct? 57 years old. But dear brothers and sisters, I'm just trying to say what Paul said to Timothy, so you can save yourself. I mean, that's how Timothy lived his life. That's a part of what this looks like, that, that you just want to be saved. That's at the bottom of everything you're doing. I just want to be saved. I just want to be a Christian. And when you have that basic concern, then you're going to be a blessing to other people. You're going to be concerned about them being saved. He didn't want to save his reputation. He didn't want to save his name. He wasn't one like Simon Magus. I, save a spot for me. He just wanted to be saved. And as a result, Paul said, look, it's not easy what I'm calling you to. And, and if you don't keep this up, I love you. But as with Demas, as with John Mark, and not ultimately with Barnabas, I assume, and you know, no hard feelings in the biggest sense of the term, but no, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's obvious that if Timothy didn't live up to Paul's standards, he would have made a point of letting Timothy know. There's no doubt about that. Well, I want to close by pointing out to you that all these features of Timothy's life, maybe some of them do register in your spirit. You know, maybe a lot of them do. Maybe, maybe it's meeting the tuning of your own heart and it's causing a harmonious vibration in your spirit. But maybe you're a little bit hesitant because not only in this teaching in which you hear these things and they seem out of reach. But one of my worries is maybe in most of the teachings that occur in this assembly, maybe they go over your head. Maybe they don't seem to speak to your life. And my hope is that in taking a moment to bring this message to you, that I can speak to your hearts, young men, and I can say to you that if any of this makes sense to you, but you don't feel equal to this calling, you feel like it's a bit foreign and idealistic and something you can't measure up to, and it sort of sounds nice, but it also sounds somewhat fantastical or anything in that direction. I want to close by pointing out to you that Timothy really is your peer. He really is. Timothy, I know he's not alive now, but I want you to think of him as if he's a young brother in the Lord in the church alongside of you. Yes, it's true that as I described him, maybe relative to your life and a lot of other young men's life, he sort of stands out above you. And maybe you felt sort of intimidated by that, maybe even emasculated by that. Maybe you felt there's no point, I can't measure up. Well, rather than falling into despair or becoming despondent about this or getting bitter against Timothy or the whole stinking process, you know? Why don't you first accept that what we're saying to you is right out of the Word of God? Why don't you first let the Spirit of God speak to your heart and the wisdom of the ages from Proverbs and all the godly men down through the centuries and Timothy's life speak and exhort your spirit? But as you do, I'm encouraging you to know that Timothy was a young man subject to like passions as you were, as you are. Timothy had to be exhorted by Paul to flee youthful lusts. Timothy struggled with that part of young men's development and he had to be exhorted. Timothy, you flee youthful lusts. He had to be told, you treat the sisters with all purity. 
But maybe even more fundamentally, I want you to know that Timothy was a man of sensitive nature. Timothy was a young man with a very sensitive nature. And perhaps it seems evident that he was not a heroic type by disposition. Paul says of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I greatly desire to see you being mindful of thy tears. I know it's just a statement, but when you understand how this puts together, you can look through that window and you can realize that Timothy had a sensitive spirit, that he carried out these responsibilities and he did in all the beautiful ways that I'm describing, but it wasn't easy. It was hard. He wrestled and he struggled and no doubt probably many times he felt so inadequate relative to Paul, maybe inadequate relative to Tychicus. Maybe he felt inadequate relative to Demas. Did you ever think of that, for example? Only to learn later that his sensitive little spirit that was nonetheless obedient was of far more value than Demas' seeming more capable abilities that didn't have a real servant's heart at its core. But I'm saying that if you are a young man with a sensitive, tender spirit, if you're not the heroic type, nor was Timothy. But what happened was, is Timothy did have that interest in his spirit. Maybe, young man, you that I'm labeling, or not labeling, excuse me, you that I'm calling through this message and I'm inviting you into a Timothy connection, I'm saying to you that though that was the case with Timothy, he, as I stated, he did have that interest that was there in a germinal sense, obviously. And because he did pursue something as the original quote that we started with, he was not just drifting, going nowhere in life. He attached himself to a purpose. He did not have a derelict, wandering life that wasn't going anywhere. And what I'm saying to you is that Timothy caught the attention of godly men. And here's what happened. This young man who had to be told, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, Timothy. Timothy, I know about your prayers. Timothy, flee youthful lust. Timothy, watch how you're treating the sisters. All these shaky things. Timothy, don't let any older man despise your youth. Timothy, oversee the church and appoint elders. Can you imagine? But this young man had godly hands laid on him, and they prayed over him. This young man had the prayers of the apostle Paul. He says, I cease not to remember you in my prayers day and night. You see, young man, if you respond to this sort of thing, things can begin to change. It's not magic, but hands could be laid on you. Maybe you just want to be better in your employment or a better son. Hands could be laid on you. And we could pray over you. Godly men could pray over you so that you would develop into more Christ-like character. And then if you really show an interest in this sort of thing, I assure you there are pastors like myself who are hungering and thirsting and almost dying of thirst to find someone like you. And they will watch over your life with prayer and fasting, as Paul did with Timothy, so that he could ultimately say to Timothy, Timothy, endure hardness. Timothy, kako patheo. I read the Greek to you because kako is the Greek word. It almost sounds like it. Kalos is good and beautiful. Kako means yuck, nonsense, garbage. He says, suffer the hardships, the bad, the evil. And that's exactly what Timothy had to do, just like Paul had to do, just like every minister has had to do. Suffer the difficulties of serving God like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You've witnessed a good profession before many 
Paul says of Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, Timothy responded to the call. He had hands laid on him. You're hearing me? He had prayers go up for him. And then Timothy got the courage to stand before the church and confess, this is what I want to be. This is who I want to be to this church, to my family, for the kingdom of God. We're calling Timothys. Are there any among us here and elsewhere that want to stand before the church and declare that this sort of thing touches your life? Then I encourage you, speak to your pastor. Speak to your biological father. Speak to your boss. Speak to this pastor. Give him a call and say, this is what I want to be. You professed a good profession before many witnesses. I charge you in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in closing, what Paul was counting on in taking Timothy under his wing is that ultimately Timothy would become a mature Timotheos. He would become a mature God-honorer. Amen? He saw in Timothy, this young man, that like any of us, when you're a young man, even with all your vim and vigor, you still got a lot of quirks and a lot of things to be worked out. That's true of all of us. But Paul saw the potential in this young man, and his prayer for Timothy was that you grow into your namesake. You grow into a mature God-honorer. I want to read you the words of Watchman Nee, a Chinese Christian leader, who says in one of his books entitled Back to the Cross, the following. The problem today lies in the fact that few, if any, in the whole world stand in their proper place and are satisfied with their own position. The evangelist wants to be a teacher, and the teacher desires to be an evangelist. Everyone admires what he is not. What is this? Is it not the manifestation of the flesh the inclination of the natural man. Yet in the body of Christ, each member has its distinct function. The ear cannot be a substitute for the eye, nor the eye the ear. Personally speaking, young workers need not only be subject to the older workers, but also to know what is God's appointed place for them. By recognizing your given place, you will not fall into the flesh. Thus, you will spare the church. Naturally, in the event that a young worker truly has the gift of teaching, while the older workers around him lack that gift, then under such circumstances, the older workers need to submit to the younger worker and accept his given gift. Nevertheless, each young worker should try to find someone more mature from whom he may learn obedience. There must be some older worker to whom he can be subject. Paul told Timothy to, quote, Abide thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy needed to find out from whom he had learned. He had to go and find the worker who was ahead of him. Does that make sense to your heart, young men? Do you recognize the value, the privilege, the blessing of finding someone who is more mature than you are in the things of God and developing whatever your place is in God's church and purpose through the mentoring of an older mature man? Part of the blessing of my experience, as I've shared with you many times, 
has been the privilege of seeking out and pursuing relationships with men that I believe are more spiritual, more experienced, and usually older than I am, under whom my own life can be enriched and matured. And it occurs to me that just recently I was sharing with Sister Judy Freeman about a certain testimony. And as I was sharing with her, I remembered in the process of sharing, I said, oh, and by the way, I called Brother Bobby to run this idea past him that I was thinking about. And why would I do that? Because as a young man, I wanted to serve God's church, serve God's people, watch over my life. And I was blessed to find in Brother Bobby and in others someone that I could put in my experience in that line. So at the end of Timothy's life, Paul could say to him, Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Isn't that beautiful? That he could speak with that emotion. I don't know how long we've gone so far. We're just about finished, another minute or two. But I know I'm going to live by God's grace in the sphere of the majesty of Almighty God and, and in the profoundness of these concepts and principles, these and everything else that's attached with our faith. In a moment, we will be worshiping the Lord and my desired interest and the objective of my heart is, doesn't matter if there's two or three or 10 or 20 or four or 500. I understand it's a lot easier when there's 500 to sort of sense the awesomeness, but my commitment is to live in the majesty of God in the, in the, in this, in the sense of this high calling. But I worry that the sort of dynamics that we're talking about today are lost on our derelict and relatively shallow generation that the blessing, the emotional visage of Paul being able to say to Timothy, oh, Timothy, keep what I've committed to your trust. You know, you hear in that a godly older man who understands the spiritual warfare and, and realizes how tenuous everything is and knows that all men generally seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. But I found in Timothy, this young man who is like-minded with me, of whom I can say there's nobody else that I know who is like Timothy, which is what Paul wrote to the Philippians, who is like me, isophysukos. You know what an isotrope is. It's something that has the same value on the periodic table. And spiritually speaking, though they were different elements, Paul and Timothy had the same basic spiritual value. That's what he effectively says of Timothy. It's such a thing to conceive of that at the end of Paul's life, he said and wrote to the churches, I have no one like Timothy. So dear friend, young men, and everyone else as well, as you heard this message, if you had any sense that a message like this is too idealistic, or two beside the point of what the churches need to hear, or squawking on a fence post about various things that are nonsense. Listen to what Paul said himself, arguably in a better day than ours. He said, my brother, he's speaking to you, my sister, young men. He would tell you from way back then, I only found one Timothy. It's not like this thing is so easily obtained and that everyone is doing so incredibly well that we don't need any calls to Timothy's or any exhortations along these lines. My prayer is that young men in our time 
would hear the call to be Timothy's. And I leave it in God's hands. Why don't you stand with me in Jesus' name?